This week on Inside Marketing, we'll be talking about authenticity in marketing. We'll ask what exactly is authenticity? Why does it matter so much for marketing right now? And how can brands and media platforms get it right? So join us to talk about authenticity in marketing only this week on Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to this week's Inside Marketing, uh, where we're going to talk, as I said, about authenticity. So I'm delighted to be joined by Rachel Ray again. Hi, Rachel. You won't go away from this podcast, it seems. Sorry, I caught you mid sip of tea there. So how, <laughs> how are you getting on? You're yeah, back I again. I eventually found my tea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good. I'm very good. Glad to hear it. Um, and I'm also, not, not so much more importantly, but let's say more importantly, joined by an expert in brand strategy and culture, um, Professor Jonathan Wilson. Welcome. How you doing? That's a great voice for the podcast. That's a nice booming voice. So this is going to be a good one. Um, so um, <laughs> welcome both of you. And uh, Rachel, no offense, I'm going to skip the tell me about yourself because we did that like literally two episodes ago. So I'm going to fast forward that bit. Um, so Professor Jonathan Wilson, tell me a little bit about yourself, what you do, particularly because given this is an Irish podcast and we do it in partnership with the Irish Times, I know you do a lot of work in the UK and international brand work. So just give us a quick intro to you and what you do. So I was born and raised in Manchester. My dad's Scottish. My mum's Caribbean. I'm probably one of the few people you'll meet with two doctorates, a big afro and a kilt. Um, I started my career in advertising in London, but I was also side hustling as a professional musician. So I wrote music and provided vocals for the early Grand Theft Auto video games, hence The Voice. So if you've ever played that game and you heard the cops say, busted. That was me. I did play it. Yeah. Wow. Oh, this and is amazing. The, Hang on. And I wrote the We're changing track. the subject. Let's just talk about this for the next hour. <laughs> and the title track, you'd hear the rap lyrics, um, all of the rap tracks, that was me. And I played Glastonbury about 20 years ago. But if I think about the new me or the, or the marketing me, I call what I do the ABCDs, which are advertising, branding, culture, and digital. I've written about 200 pieces of work, traveled to about 40 countries, and I've worked on branding everything from countries right down to people. Right. Wow. Okay. I, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Putting me to shame now. Me and Rachel. Oh, wow. We're, we're, we're privileged. But anyway, so, well, you're a busy man and thanks for taking the time. And I'm looking forward to this, but I don't know where it's going to go because it's such a it's such a, a broad topic. So I'm just going to kick off for a second. Um, like we could do, I don't know, we could do a week's long with the podcast on the whole area of authenticity because I find it so broad. So one of the things that, I sometimes struggle with is the, the term authenticity and and how because I know I've talked about it quite a lot in this podcast before. So there's a conflation around authentic um, social or cause marketing and purpose, if you want. So, and I think part of the confusion is that that the industry uses those terms interchangeably, and they can be very different things. So the point, like every brand should have a purpose, right? And so purpose is purpose, and it doesn't have to be about saving the planet. So I, I think. McDonald's is to feed and foster communities, which they do. They're not promising to, you know, to provide the most nutritious meal on the planet or to save the planet. Google's is to organize the world's information. Um, so purpose, every brand should have a purpose. And then you you get into social or cause marketing, and that's a different thing altogether. Um, and being authentic is again slightly something different. So you can you can be nothing to do with social or cause marketing and and be even be a company that doesn't really buy into advertising or marketing. Like Ryanair, Ryanair. Or unbelievably authentic as a company. They know what they stand for. They do it better than anyone else. What you see is what you get and it'll be consistent. And and so 
But I think when we when we talk about authentic and purpose and social or cause marketing, we we can kind of misunderstand things or kind of talk about one thing when we mean another. So um, I'm going to kick off with you, Jonathan. What 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 is authenticity? What are we talking about here when we talk about authenticity for brands? So it's interesting, and I guess because this is uh, an audience of practitioners, one of the things that we might be feeling, getting that hangover feeling when you go to X number of conferences or you listen to X number of podcasts and everyone says, you have to be authentic. Authenticity is really important. And and that becomes the buzzword. Or at the other end of the spectrum, uh, you have a diet of doom-scrolling social media influencers who say, you got to be authentic. And in between those, you're thinking like, what is that? Um, So if we go back to definitions, then, you know, from my take, you know, doing the literature searches, authenticity in its basic sense means the genuine article and not fake, right? But I think what we're talking about or what we want to talk about with regards to brands is something which philosophers debate a lot about and they talk about the alignment of actions and beliefs and your desires with meaning and purpose. And that's despite external pressures to conform. And for them, that's the thing that signifies authenticity, right? So you you want to do all of these things, um, but you still want to do them, even when there's pressure not to do them. And I reflected upon those things. And then I kind of came up with my take kind of with two from two different sides. So the first take is perhaps more how we want to feel as professionals, right? Or, or how we want our consumers to feel. And so I thought authenticity was about feeling and being comfortable in yourself around others and others feeling and being comfortable around you. So there's a reciprocity and it's a two-way thing. Or if you want to be a bit more branding, marketing-y, then I think it's about getting acknowledged, accepted, endorsed, and mirrored. Um, but I still think that there's this um tension between doing what you want to do and what other people want you to do and how they see the world and i think that's where we kind of all get stuck right so when people say you've got to be authentic then some people in the audience are thinking hold up a minute that seems to be quite a privileged position or are you are you for real because if you are just yourself in the same way as, as professionals we might claim to be authentic but there are lots of things that I don't do in the workplace, thankfully, mm. right? But I'm still authentic. But but we we do make these decisions. And I think that's where people are trying to work out, well, okay, how much should we give and how much should we not give? Mm. Yeah, that whole thing of bringing your whole self to work. It's like, I know for a fact, if I brought my whole self to work day one, it'd be <laughs> just turn right around, go back out. We should probably please put on some shoes while you're at <laughs> us. You know, <laughs> she created me like you know, bringing your whole self to work is like bringing your arsehole to work. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I mean, or something like that. yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, I know. Yeah, I mean, we want to be. Uh, you're right, and context is important. So we, 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 we're all authentic, but you know, our, our authenticity is kind of, you know, curbed to a degree in terms of whether we're in work or outside, and the, and the context in which we're showing up. Um, now I think the world has moved on. Thankfully, the world's moved on quite a lot. So you know, I, I think in marketing terms, um. If you, you'll both remember, there was this this kind of nonsense that we used to think about love marks and how people love brands. And you know, forget they never loved advertising, but they love brands. Um, 
and we had the, the role of marketers was to build a, a kind of an army of of advocates. Um, and you know, and I don't know that that doesn't. It's not true anymore. It's been probably thankfully I think that that narrative has gone away. Um, and that's partly gone away because I just think the the effect that advertising has on building a brand, given in terms of we talked about that authenticity, you can't just go out and say something anymore and not deliver on that because every people are more empowered and they've got more insight into companies and and it's all digitally driven. So, um, but do you, do you think, um, open question, anyone can take it, but do, do you think that um, things like social media now have really driven this kind of need for authenticity or, or exposing brands when they're not being authentic? Do consumers or people just have more success in whether a brand succeeds or not now? Is that what's driving it? Hmm. You know, are you really saying that people don't love brands or I'm, that I'm or it's saying, a waste of time? No, I'm not saying they don't love brands. I just think we overestimate the amount of love they have. And maybe more for CPG. Okay, if you're going to buy an expensive handbag, you're probably going to spend a lot of time on that purchase. But the idea that people are Coke drinkers and when they go into a shop and they go, we don't have Coke, we have Pepsi instead. Usually that's met with, yeah, that's cool, no problem. And they don't walk out and go, oh, you don't have Coke? I'm not, oh, I'm not. I'm not buying in here because you don't have Coke if it's in a restaurant or something like that. They're, they're interchangeable. Like the adverts say, right? Because in the adverts, that does happen. Someone goes like, what? You don't have Coke? Yeah. Come on, honey, let's go. Like, yeah, you're right on that. I, I think it's the inflation of, of the emotions that, that we experience. And so if I was to liken it to anything, it's a bit like if you look at comedians or musicians, some people just have it. Right. And, and this is the hardest thing to kind of come to terms with, which is that, you know, some people are naturally funny. Some people work really hard at it, but some people get to that stage when they just are funny. They are comedians or they're amazing musicians. And there are loads of people that sadly fail. And, and so as an industry, how does it feel waking up every day knowing that you've got qualifications, you've got these degree certificates, you spent millions and gazillions of dollars, and you just don't have it. That's the mm. thing that fascinates me about branding. And if we were to raise our hand and say, do you know what? We just don't have it. Um, well, we can't, can we, right? So so we kind of, we have this, this kind of game that we play where we're trying to make everyone feel that our brands are really successful I think that there are some killer brands right at the top in every category, mm. even the low involvement, everyday household items. There are just one or two that mm. just manage to make it. Whether they have a blueprint or not, well, to an extent, I think there's a, a, a great degree of, of serendipity, luck, um, experimentation, things that you can't replicate and graft onto other brands. And And so I think that there is a human aspect to brands in that context where you know, you can study the success of somebody else, but it doesn't mean that you're going to make it like that. Mm. And that's where some of these motivational speakers um, bore me to tears or where sometimes reading someone's biography and being inspired is great, mm. but I mm. can't be that person and yeah. it's already happened. So mm. I think that with authenticity, what you were saying at the beginning, it's a bit of a white knuckle ride. Mm. Or, you know, we've had this discussion before where it's a brand wagon, right? Whichever analogy you want to use. But um, eventually everyone is pretty much going to fall off that white knuckle ride at some stage. Mm. So if we accept that pragmatically, you have to go into it with your eyes open with the right intentions and the right motives. Um, because if we're going to fall off that ride, it probably means that you can go out of fashion. 
Yeah. It's not going to work for a long period of time. And so short term, especially the the marketing and sales divisions will say it's not worth doing. But if I uh, defend the brand, I would say, well, we, we have no choice, basically, because just like in fashion, things come back into fashion and we're constantly brand building. And I guess that's the that's the deer in the headlights moment where brands are thinking, you know, do we advertise? Do we market? Do we have incentives? Uh, because none of it seems to be working in the way that we want it to these consumers are not performing how we'd expected them to perform. Mm. Right. Yeah. Again, just and because touch on authenticity, because I think quite a lot of what happens, and we'll get into it in a second about cause marketing. I, I think what tends to happen is rather than, I mean, way, way years ago when I was talking to clients, I'd be saying, look, you won't, you can't be all things to all people, but find out what you believe in, stand for something. And then the people who ha- hold those similar values will, will kind of align with you to, to, mm. for one of a, a, a of a better way of saying it. So, and now I think what happens a lot is we we tend to chase culture. So we see, oh, people are interested in this, people are interested in that, and I want to be all things all people. So they're interested in that. So I'll my brand will be interested in that, and that kind of goes the wrong way. The tail starts to wag the dog. I say that quite a lot, but that that's what tends to happen. Rachel, what's your view on? Uh, is is it a case of that like uh, the authenticity is more important given the how empowered consumers are or people are at the moment? Is, what do you think about that? Um. I think it's kind of gone through, we've gone through such a decade of rapid change thanks to digital. And I think it's evolved authenticity in good and bad ways. Like Instagram, I think, is a very good example of how people represent themselves and how much that's changed. When I look at like my younger cousins now, you know, the kind of stuff we were doing in college and it's in hashtagging everything, they'd find absolutely mortifying, you know, mm. um, like it's, it's, it's changed so much, um, but it's kind of, people have been educated as the technology has come out um, and the ability to spot fakes, both with people, with mm. brands, with someone trying to hack your account, with, you know, um, false promises of, you know, getting a better butt or earning a million without, you know, having to work and all of these kind of things. People have developed this kind of, you know, superpower of being able to see through all the bullshit. Mm. Um, so on the one hand, it, it, it's it's helped, uh, you know, brands in that there's new ways to reach people, there's wider markets. Every brand is an international brand now or has the potential to be. But then you're also competing with everyone else. And then, you know, the, the, the consumer <laughs> uh, or people, for want of a better word, have changed over that time. So it's a bit of a poison chalice, I guess. Can mm. they see through everything though? I mean, I'd love to think mm. so, but sometimes when you travel, like, you know, I'll show my age. I remember back in the days in the nineties, people losing their mind for sunny delight. And just yeah. thinking it was, the, it yeah. tasted so great. It was really good for you. And then afterwards you realize, I don't know, your wee is a different color or something. And it's like, maybe mm. it's not quite sunny, sunny and delightful, but but then I also think that, like, you know, Obama came into power as a president. And everyone's like, oh, you know, we've yeah. changed. Yeah. You know? And then who comes afterwards? It's Trump. Yeah. And and then, you know, you've got Kardashians licking lollipops and losing weight, apparently. Yeah. And, and there are just so many things where I think we've become more discerning of certain adverts. And I know yeah. that television has got bashing uh, where people apparently aren't watching adverts anymore. But I think that they are going to come back in fashion because with the rise of influencers who apparently were supposed to 
rid us of these spurious claims. Mm. In many respects, they're worse than the adverts that have been more heavily regulated. Yeah, true. And I think people tired of influencers and their honest, supposedly honest opinions with a hashtag and probably go back to more conventional means of, of, of gathering information because it is complicated. Mm. We all have blind spots and there are just things that we just, it, it just doesn't make sense. And, and then you have these things that get circulated on social media and, and you want to fact check. Not everyone is going to Snopes.com and stuff like that. So I'm with you, but I also think, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. No, you're right. Because I was just explaining this to my wife the other day. Um, talk about the power of, of brands and when they've been built. I, I still have LucasAid as somehow kind of super medicinal properties in terms of this thing. And like this, like, because it used to be a certain thing you brought in to sick people in the hospital and there was loads of LucasAid because my dad wasn't well and it was up in the house. And I was, what, what's all LucasAid for? Oh, your dad's not well. And I was going, oh yeah. And then I had one because it was kind of like, it's no better than Coca-Cola. Um, you know, so. Did your mom take all the bubbles out first though? Or was no, it like a flat? No, because my dad was like, I don't like LucasAid. So he, it was all there. So so he didn't have any of it. So, but no, you're right. Um, and we talked a lot about brands, but like, I just open, broaden out a little bit. So, how important do we think authenticity is in terms of um, media platforms themselves? So, authentic, authenticity of platforms and authenticity in the media as well. So it goes it goes bigger than brands, obviously, which which everything should do. So, what what are your thoughts on authenticity and platforms? Well, I think I'd, I'd add one first from a general platform point of view, something that I've noticed over the last few weeks. Um, there's a certain group, and I'm not going to name the newspaper because I don't want to give them any more you know, awareness than they have, but um, the, the sort of a anti-vax, you know, paranoia groups have been printing newspapers and delivering, distributing them around. I think they're in the UK as well. Uh, Jonathan Lutter, um, but distributing them around yeah. the east coast of Ireland. And I was getting loads of um, text messages from friends and families going, oh, God, have you seen this? You know, thinking, oh, gender, you know, the way your family kind of goes, oh, they're in media, so you must be in charge of this in a very mm. generic way. Uh, and the kind of offence and panic, for want of a better word, because it was in a print medium mm. that gave it more weight um, but people actually, it came through the door. People took the time to look at it because it was in like a, you know, a paper form that looked like a broadsheet. It looked like an Irish Times or something, mm. you know. Um, I thought it was really interesting in in this era of, you know, us all go, you know, everything's digital, that the trust level of something like that. Mm, um, a good point. Implies, it still does imply something. So I think there's, there's obviously, I think, you know, we used to talk a lot about, you know, the sort of halo effect of um, platforms for brands, um, which that sort of high level conversation seems to have gone away quite a bit. But I think first and foremost, I think that's definitely mm. worth remembering. And then the second thing is that media is now getting more and more polarised. The, the States is an obvious example for this, but we're seeing this across the board in the UK, within countries in the EU, you know, Politics, uh, culture is becoming, you know, quite divided in terms mm. of, um, you know, stances outrightly or subtly or whatever. So, and, you know, do you think brands need to consider these when they consider what 
media platform they're actually going to advertise in because what you're beside or who you're with mm. is saying who you support. Yeah, no, you it, know? it's yeah, it's a great point. And uh, Johnson, just on, like, when you think about authenticity, like th- there is a thing we talked about TV ads, and but but there was a thing about kind of a social contract with people. So the thing that went on in the back of our minds is, well, a company wouldn't go and make a TV ad and spend this much money. And because we can't, we can't be discreet in terms of messaging, once you go on TV and you make a promise, the, the kind of, the unwritten rule is that, well, you're not going to do that if if it's not true. And that's what people take up on it. So, and in a world now, and I think there's something about, like for something to appear in a newspaper, largely speaking, it, it has to have gone through certain quality control checks. So there's a, a, a sub editor and an editor and something that's on the record. And there's, you know, we know that you can put anything out into the world in social media. So when we think about brands and trust, do you think authenticity in media and platforms, Jonathan, is kind of something that we we need to think more carefully about to Rachel's point? Yeah, I mean, all of those are interesting points, right? And uh, I mean, I've got, some lectures that I do with students in advertising and I look at historical adverts. So then if you go back to the 40s and 50s, so yeah, I agree with you, newspaper, print, you know, we we had these certain standards. But then looking at advertising the 40s and 50s, you've got Santa Claus smoking a cigarette and you've got uh, surgeon generals and doctors autographing a copy saying, you know, I haven't seen anyone suffer the effects of of nicotine and smoking. It doesn't burn your throat out and all of these things. Mm. Um, So you know, we're not immune to making those claims in, in print. Where I think print is different, though, is the fact that I am able to access those adverts or television adverts, and we, and we have all of those bloopers where, mm. you know, you think, oh, look at this advert from 50 years ago. Can we do the same even though they're on YouTube? I, I don't know. I mean, for example, I, I was writing a column for a magazine, and I wrote a number of articles, I think probably about 10 articles, and then and then the company went bust. And because it was an online magazine, they just pulled down the website. And to me, that was a big betrayal because had I written for a newspaper, those words are in print forever. So the thing that's mm. interesting is that, that, like, on one level, we say that anything on the internet is there forever, which it is. But on the other side, in print press, you know, it's documented, recorded and somewhere. Archived. In a, yeah. And, and we haven't worked out, I think, how to archive things from that of integrity people do take screenshots but we do know that things can change very rapidly it's like for example you know i was watching formula one no it wasn't formula one it was the uh it was the champions league football final and liverpool you know lost in the final but if you like refresh wikipedia straight afterwards like liverpool fans had changed it and said that liverpool won <laughs> and it stayed like that for a while and you could, i mean I, I could verify it but it was it was kind of amusing that they were trying to change Mm. change the news so i think we've we've got to bring those things together where where we are scrutinizing we are checking and and iterations are great but but we do need anchors in the sand mm. and and how that works digitally i'm not sure but i think that we we, we do need to have that discussion i was going to say something else and i completely forgot but if it comes back to me oh. but it was it was something that you were saying rachel that kind of got me thinking but you're right um Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was it. Platforms. So here's the thing. You know, if you look at Lush Cosmetics, I think it was December last year, they announced that they were stepping away from Facebook and Instagram because they accused Meta of having a disregard for people's mental health. Mm. And they said that they would estimate they'd lose like 10 million pounds in sales by doing so, right? And we we see that there have been some artists that have pulled away from platforms like recording artists pulling away from platforms like YouTube. 
mm. um, because they've been unhappy with some of the content that they, they've had online. The thing is that these media companies, these digital media companies are so huge now, uh, you do wonder by avoiding them, will you make that change? In the same way as, you know, you could boycott a newspaper. I think Lego uh, pulled advertising from the Daily Mail Mm. Uh, because Lego fans said that, you know, they didn't like uh, the editorial stance of the Daily Mail and Lego listened and that's why they got great awards and stuff and, and great uh, trust and respect from their audiences. But when you have platforms that are so huge and they're segmented in, in so many intricate ways, what do you do? It's like mm. I was I was surprised uh, fairly recently where one of my friends who's into like, you know, we're, we're both into hip hop, but he likes a lot more modern hip hop than me. And we, we were just following YouTube videos on drill music. And for those of you that don't listen to drill hip-hop, right, um, it was fascinating because there was one video where they're rapping and they're just playing golf on a golf course and it kind of sounds like Sesame Street-style rhymes and stuff. And then in another video uh, from a rival group, the guy sat on the gravestone of the rapper that I saw in the previous video holding his picture saying that your mom will never see you again. And and apparently, like the, the the you know the cemetery was being bodyguarded by armed gang members so that he could record this video, and it's on YouTube. Right yeah. now, if you didn't know the backstory, it just looks like another music video. He's just sat there talking about somebody that that's that's just passed away, and then you watch another video, and then that person's dead, and then another mm. person's dead. Um, and that kind of blew my mind because I thought, okay, if I was really into drill music and I was of a certain age, a certain demograph, and I'm seeing this online, this is on a different stratosphere mm. than an advert telling me that licking a lollipop is gonna is gonna make me lose weight. Mm. Because we could see the impacts of some of these things, but but those things aren't being regulated either. So I mean, you know, there's this discussion now where, you know. Once upon a time, it was simple. An advert is a paid-for piece of communication yeah. in a designated uh, media space. Therefore, we can control it, regulate it, verify it, check it. And now, you know, I've, I have to concede. You know, my students would say, "But every everything's advertising." If you think about it, and you'd say, mm. "No, advertising is," and you'd give the definition. But you can record an advert, put it on YouTube. You can record a video, do user-generated content, and it behaves like an advert. Mm. Um, and it's not being regulated. And we know that there was the ASA case where I think, is it over 30K followers on Instagram technically makes you an influencer? So you have to use hashtags mm. if you have paid for partnerships. But then you've got everything else in between where even like the, the darlings of the media for, for, for years, Dove, mm. can, can do a Facebook campaign where, you know, they're, they're black facing. And they could say, oh, it was just a Facebook ad, but I'm sorry we made a mistake. Yeah. Um, so it's just becoming incredibly complicated, I think, in our industry. If you want to create adverts, it goes back to the point I was making before. In some respects, it's harder for us because we're trying really hard, mm. but not everybody is being forced to try really hard to uphold those standards. And we've got huge platforms that are just allowing everybody and that, and then that's where free speech comes into play. Right. It's like, you know, um, we kind of are going to contradict ourselves if we start canceling and controlling what people say, yet we want to be able to say what we want to say. Um, so what's the balance? Like, how should we get these views expressed? It's really complicated. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, I, I agree. And, and I think, well, I do think the platforms hide behind free speech too much and I get it. It's a fine line, but I do think, you know, 
to not to 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 say that they are not publishers and to to kind of um you know hold their hands up and say you know people it's free speech they can go they they can they can they use it too often and and I think they should in a lot of cases they should they should do better um they 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 can they could fix a lot of stuff if they wanted to fix it they they have the they have the resources you're right but but then it depends on who's who's at the table right because because we know that um. Racist posts don't get pulled down as quickly as they should. Mm. Things are getting better with regards sexist comments, but it's still not bad. Female creators are being trolled. And then if I go back to, you know, being a Manchester lad growing up, and like Manchester had a massive Irish community. Like I'd, I'd go and watch Gaelic football in the park, mm. you know, and, and I think about at that time growing up in the, in the 70s and the 80s, the comments that people would make against Irish people mm. that were acceptable. Um, but then if you were to, if you were, for example, to go on social media now and someone said something that was disrespectful and rude about Irish people, how quickly would that be pulled down? Mm. And they can't say that it's not racism because I lived, seen the impact that it had on my Irish friends and especially the, the, the synergy between Caribbeans and the Irish community in Manchester as well. Like my mom was mm. a nurse and a lot of nurses were Irish too. And, and the, the crap that they would have to put up with as nurses Mm. kind of just I guess was a taste of things to come because those things were never addressed it was you know and, and you know for those of you that, that maybe don't know maybe ask ask your aunties or, or or whoever but like you know it was and I'm using nursing as an analogy because they came to do a job that other people didn't want to do mm. and they're doing a fantastic job but they would uh, face uh, racial abuse mm. um, physical abuse getting groped and stuff and told to kind of just mm. turn a blind eye to those things for the hope that there was going to be a better future for their kids and their mm. family. And and I guess it's something similar that, that we're looking at now, which is that there are communities who are not quite sure how much they should take. Yeah. And there are institutions, and I'm not like taking a pot shot at the NHS, but still, if you look at the press now, there are so many reports that are coming out which show that, you know, doctors, you, you know, we think about it like doctors are educated, qualified you know, like people aspire towards wanting to be called doctor and, and and working in a hospital, and they're saying that they can't cope with how they're being treated from certain minority communities. The supposedly educated people mm. who should know better are mm. treating each other horribly. So in that context, when I think about what we're having to face in advertising land and brands and stuff, it doesn't surprise me. But yeah. I do think it's a powerful role that we can play mm. in trying to change how people see things. Mm. And do you think, sorry, so Dave, you probably have the same question that's going to reveal on there. Oh, no. Jonathan, do you, do you think uh, brands and advertising should be playing a role or actually by virtue of what we do, we are kind of poisoning the water a bit, you know? It, no, it, we've got to do, we've like, got to do something. At, like supporting causes or, you know, standing for something by virtue of the fact that ultimately at the end of the day we're selling something like that's because you know. this is where it gets this is where it gets really polarizing right now Rachel mm. we were chatting before about this so and you you used the term a, a couple of minutes ago 15 minutes ago um brand wagoning right so uh, it, it, this is complicated and I don't know if there's a if there's a definitively a binary right or wrong answer on this but right when you talk about authenticity in a slightly different kind of guys so we've just come Pride week was two a week, two weeks ago, or yeah, no, two weeks ago. Um, 
And you see pride, it's brilliant and it's a celebration of everything. And you see, and, and it, it's it's great. And you talk about um, minorities, particularly in Ireland, people growing up, if you, if you weren't kind of normal in Ireland, you had a pretty difficult childhood in terms of if, if, you, if you weren't straight and you were any way different. Ireland was not a great place to be. So it's fantastic to see young people um, you know, change that, and we're very—I think we're—we're we're very inclusive now as a country. There's there's still problems in lots of places, but then I see the brands coming out and they—they they, they get jumping on it. And you mentioned it, so you talked about brand wagoning. So we're going to um, backpedal for a second, uh, John. Jonathan, what's brand wagoning first of all, and then what's your view on that in terms of um, brands? And what I mean by you know, they change their social media icon for a week. They stick up a few flags. They, whatever, they post. And most of the stuff seems to be done for, for sharing on social media in a lot of cases. Like, what, like, is that not shameless in terms of trying to tailgate culture to something that's really important for people and just trying to, as Rachel said, you know, thinly veil it as, as causal and it would view to selling something? just feels wrong. <laughs> so what's brand wagoning? And then what's your point of view on that? For given um, Pride Week was, was we've just come out the back of it. Yeah, you know, yeah, those shenanigans are shameless, of course. I, I, I'm with you. And I remember I wrote a paper a couple of years ago and I used the term brand wagoning. And I was trying to encapsulate that feeling of, yeah, we know that companies jump on a bandwagon and, and it seems that brands are piggybacking off very serious issues and they're not giving them the care and attention that they deserve. So if I think about a brand that that does, I love, like, and you can do a search, an internet search, Ben and Jerry's strong statement online against the murder of George Floyd and brutality towards mm. black and brown people. Now, you know, if you didn't know Ben and Jerry's and you didn't see the statement, you might think, hold up a minute, what does an ice cream brand have to say about about police brutality about yeah. you know all of the things that are going on but they were clear and strong in in their statement and the mistake i think that a lot of brands make is that they don't go far enough in the sense that people if they don't know enough about the brand or the people behind it they, they doubt the intentions and then that becomes the problem right, right. um so you know brand wagoning for me is when we're questioning the intentions and the longevity of the commitment and, and whether they're going to pull the rug from this. Like when, when it goes out of fashion, it's kind of like we're anti-racist this year and then next year we're just going to move on to something else. It's it's a moving buffet rather than a sincere commitment. And, and I think that, that becomes the challenge. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and Rachel, you made another point. Remind me again because you said something I wanted, to, I wanted to respond to. Can you remember what you were talking oh. about? God, I don't even know what I was going to say next. So in the, in, the, in, in, just in the last question. Yeah, just before I spoke, yeah, you uh, said something. I bet, like, you know, ultimately, you know, we're all, we're all in the game to, you know, to make money, to sell something. Like, that is marketing. Oh, that and, um, you know, so does that ultimately pollute it when the ideology is not first? So I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm going to, like, to an Irish audience, sorry, but I'm going to talk about religion. And, oh no, uh, don't! I'll just no, cut, I'll, no. I'll cut this. Did we all edit it? We, we got enough of that <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> so, like, like for example, um, centuries ago, there were debates about whether you could, like, when they worked out how to print copies of the Bible, whether you could sell the Word of God. 
And there are some people that would say, you can't sell the word of God. This is like, you know, this is completely wrong. And then there are others that said, like, but we need to like, you know, get the materials and all that kind of stuff. And then there are others that said that we could turn this into a business, right? Um, some people would say, okay, make your money elsewhere and and donate it. And 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 so, you know, we, we know what these discussions are. And to a certain extent, it's a bit like what happened in print media when uh, the newspapers that started carrying advertising were able to lower the the um, price of of the of the copy and mm. and they were became more successful. Now, if I bring it kind of more closely to home, I think I have a very pragmatic view, right? Which is like I'm not a religious leader. I'm not a holy man. Um, I'm a guy that wants to do good things for good people, make a bit of money. I don't think I'm ever going to be rich. I'm never going to like, you know, get, get my name in the history books and stuff like that. But I want to do just kind of really practically, you know, useful things. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's where advertising does play a role. We're not going to save the planet, uh, but, but we shouldn't kind of feel bad about the fact that a business has to make money. We just want to show that we're going to make money and, and use it wisely and, and do so in an appropriate way. So that was that was the point I wanted to respond to, which is I do think advertising does play an important role because that's one of the reasons why I went into academia and why I thought being in advertising was cool because you switch on the TV and I know what an impact that you know adverts had on me, MTV as well and stuff like that. And it's like if I could get involved in the media – then I could change some of those narratives and they would mm. have a positive impact so that, you know, for, for the next generation, when they go in the playground, they're not getting the mickey taken out of them because of some crap advert or crap music video or something like mm. that. Yeah. Um, and I think that I felt more comfortable with that approach than, for example, wanting to become a religious cleric or mm. wanting to become a politician because mm. I'm very cynical about, some of those, you know, professionals, yeah, yeah. right? No offense to them. And so I, I almost feel like in advertising land, we need to find a way to to kind of reaffirm our vows and tell ourselves and other people what it is that we do. Because we all, you know, hang out with our mates and we all think that we're doing something which is like, you know, waste of time, right? Like, oh, you work in advertising. Yeah. Oh, you just wanna you just want us to buy more stuff and take our money. Uh, like as opposed to those other things mm. like you know we've all got to get a job you know we all want to make some money live somewhere nice be loved love somebody fall in love like you know just live our lives and 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 i think that we need to position advertising within that space but then mm. that means that we have to cut our cloth accordingly it doesn't mean that that we can't do fantastic creative that takes people into a fantasy world and stuff like that. Yeah. And probably it's not advertising and it's not, you know, but I, I'm in love with Ma- the Marvel stuff at the minute because mm. I think that it is transformational. Like the Ms. Marvel series, if you look at what it's done um, in terms of people understanding Muslims or women or South yeah. Asian women, and like that's what advertising is supposed to do. Mm. And, and we're not quite doing that yet. We're still, I think we've been dragged into the sales and marketing route, which is great. Yeah. You know, if you want, you know, last minute, go and do your shopping, get your cranberry sauce or whatever it is for Christmas. But there's that other stuff that we could be doing mm. that I do think people would be interested in. Yeah. yeah. I think we, we've spent an awful lot of time because of all those changes in the last few years, you know, so much 
literal time is taken but eternally and with clients and explaining tech explaining how the tech works you know um you know what button does what how we measure this that and the other and it is it, taken away a lot of that time from actually what the focus is of the mm. thing that we're trying to do it's yeah. how do we fit all these things into oh, this one thing into all these different you know holes and different shapes as as like and that overall you know the sort of purpose the concept can get lost in the complexity of well i need to be able to show it across you know tiktok instagram but you know what's the ppc version of this is it it just gets arms and legs very quickly and kind of runs away from even if you've got a good a great core strategy at the start it could just Mm. Yeah, disappear within a week of actually planning the thing out so there's two examples yeah, i get point. it reminds me a bit of like you know when you think about uh bubblegum pop music like stop aching a waterman you know you can imagine mm. that like you know if someone sat down and said okay here this is how many beats a minute we need yeah to make a hit record it needs to have these keyboards it, uh, it needs to have this it needs to have somebody with spiky hair and all that kind of stuff and then you manufacture a song that you feel will maximize your success. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are loads of brands that don't want to think of themselves as being a manufactured pop group, but they want that kind of success, but they want to be cool like the bands that we grew up thinking are cool. And then on the other side, you know, I also give the example of, you know, imagine the dude that buys the book that says, this is how women will fall in love with you or women like chocolates, buy them flowers and sees dating as a numbers game and and, and systematically goes through his neighborhood with Mm. chat up lines and stuff like that, thinking that he can maximize his success or then going to the next person and saying, you know, um, statistically speaking, I'm a better lover because I've had 50 girlfriends. uh, So you'd be better to, to, you know, have a relationship with me. I mean, it sounds bizarre, Mm. But there's an element which is what brands are trying to do in in their approach. And that's why it doesn't work. Mm. I know that it's not a straight analogy because you might say, well, what's wrong with a company saying that we've had loads of satisfied customers and stuff? That's a little bit different. But still, those metrics and bragging about them to other people leads you in a certain direction, Mm. which is then going to be that if you want to do the other stuff, like be iconic, be creative, be cool, be authentic, be a bit punk rock and hip hop where it's like, screw the system, I don't really care. Like, trust me, I care about these things. Then you can't successfully blend those things together if you've been selling that approach for so long. And that's why a brand like Ben and Jerry's can say, like, this is this is us, we are keeping it real. Mm. Or Lush, as I mentioned, can say, we're keeping it real because this is yeah. in our DNA. Yeah. 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 Go on. It's- just on the the that the music thing, kind of like it to you know, do you want the one minute TikTok song or do you want the Beyonce four minute drop? But Beyonce can do that because she's built all of those years and years up of being Beyonce, so she can drop a four minute song and be you know, and people are just gonna take it and accept it. Whereas I think yes, I think you know there's. A lot to be said about breaking the formula, but consistency, like Ben and Jerry's is consistent and has consistently stood for important values and has, you know, turned up before. Whereas mm-hmm. I think if if there were if Ben and Jerry's hadn't been doing those things before and came out with even the very same statement, yeah, true. it would still be problematic because it would still feel like, well, 
and I hate the well what about on the internet but it would definitely be a time and place for the yeah but what about that one time that yeah. you blah, 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 well you're right you know? it, would, it would feel weird if it was come from Magnum right there's nothing wrong with Magnum it's fine buying ice cream it just feel weird if it was come from Magnum because they don't have it's a that. bad name it's a gun yeah name. yeah <laughs> well, Magnums you know, against gun violence it, it just yeah it, 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 I think there's a, there could be a campaign <laughs> on that, that. <laughs> um, so when we think about because it, there's a lot in, in, in being authentic um but like, again, maybe it's because like, are people just different now? So when you think about authenticity and kind of, is it more important to, to Generation Z, Rachel, and things like that? Um, and when you start to think about being authentic, and again, you know, it has many layers to it. So you can talk about um, authenticity and, and diversity or even kind of environmental credentials and that kind of stuff now. So like, how... How how should brands or people who are listening now be starting to think about you know what they get involved in or or, or not in terms of for different audiences because it can be a whole minefield. Yeah, and I think that there's definitely a risk with brands now where like Gen Z, particularly like the last two years of basically trauma for someone that age is like I, we've been a, we were in lockdowns kind of indefinitely, Jonathan, <laughs> during those that like um, I think we had that the mother of all lockdowns versus any other country, I think. Maybe apart um, from New so, Zealand or Australia, they were they were pretty tough. Yeah, time. yeah, they were, Japan seems to be, but yeah, China maybe as well. Anyway, <laughs> but the, there's a risk at the moment of brands kind of going, because of everything that's happened and also just the typical, you know, they're younger and we don't understand them group, but those things compounded together of just ignoring Gen Z, whereas actually I think authenticity for them is much more important, is absolutely crucial. Um, versus perhaps our generation. Um, like fa- fashion, I think, is one of those things that you could see the kind of hints at that at the moment, like the the whole Y2K thing, you know, the resurgence of Paris Hilton, weirdly, as this, like, icon of authenticity, because she has not, you know, it, it, you know, to the outside labels of the world, she's completely fake, but she's consistently been Paris Hilton without she's that veil dropping. Fake. yeah. Yeah, just, yeah. It's like you know, oh, so, like yeah. you don't necessarily have to be a you know a good person trying to save the world. I think Trump, to a certain level, had this sense of authenticity, which is like a very negative version of. You know, well, I think we all agree on yeah. what kind of person he is, but the, the sense there was a sense of believability through consistent simplicity of his message and all of this kind of thing. Yeah. So it can mean authenticity can mean a lot of different things. Um, but I think particularly for that generation, like looking at the sort of resurgence of the whole Y2K fashion, it's almost like they're trying to get back to, you know, the sort of rave days of our youth when there was no cameras, there was no kind of you could reinvent yourself every few months, you know, and nobody but your, you know, your best mates were gonna hold you accountable for changing your identity and changing yourself. Um and there wasn't like this sort of chase for for fame and mm. um, that we have this brilliant book um, about sort of that, how that's affected the younger generations, particularly uh, Get Rich or like Trying, they recently come out fantastically, mm. it's really worth checking out. But like, I think, like I, I had a car accident a year ago um, and I was at this restaurant and there was four Canadian girls, I'd say they were 20, 21, sitting around we got chatting we've given them their table because we'd a bigger table or whatever just as we were leaving and had a chat to them you know oh where you should go what you should do they're doing a round europe kind of thing 
And she turns around to me and goes, you're so authentic. I was like, what the? And so the reason I mentioned the car, I, said, I walked, then walked across the road, got hit by the car. First thing, first thought was, oh, Jesus, this Keep is going Second thought was, what the hell does that girl mean? <laughs> you know, <laughs> about being so authentic. And then the last thought was, oh, this is really going to hurt. This is still going on and I'm still here. And it just, it was such a, a moment of realisation of like, it. there's a, the generation like 10 years behind us out is so different, like mm. unbelievably different from the idea of me saying that, that, that to you, Dave, or to you, mm. Jonathan, you're so authentic, would be, you'd kind of, you know, vomit a little bit in your mouth, I think. Um, so I think there's a lot to be done to kind of understand younger generation. And I do think it means very different things to different people. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a lot of work probably on from a brand that advertises in to actually get to know people again. Yeah, because I think authentic is, yeah. as you said it, like I mean, yeah, Donald Trump is authentic, and I think that's we, like we, we well, you want to know where you stand with people. We don't want uh, um, kind of people to show up one day and be a certain type of person and then completely different because we don't know how to read people. The same with brands, you don't. I mean, you can make a decision like as you know, Ryanair have done a great job, as I said. And I'm amazed at how people get on and complain about, you know, they have to pay for something on the flight or they got bad service. That's what you get, right? And that's what it is. And that's what they did. But you're also paying a fraction of what you used to pay for your for your air travel than before they came in. So um, you can be authentic and completely nothing to do with having a social cause. Jonathan, I want to ask you a question yeah. again. We kind of touched on this. Authentic. You could be an authentic monster. Yeah, you could be. <laughs> or, I mean, you could be an authentic uh, racist. You could be the type of... I don't get... The, you're talking about football. You can talk about football matches. I mean, I'm amazed when I got to football matches sometimes who... And I don't know what it is about that 90 minutes of football matches. I'm a Man United fan for my sins. And people, Yeah, man. And people go... But I, I'm amazed at some of the language, some of the comments, some of the things I hear... Um, particularly when United aren't doing so well, abuse thrown at players. I'm still amazed that, 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 and these people are like that for kind of 90 minutes. I'm sure they go out and they go back to their jobs and they're, and they're, and I don't, I say, I just find it bizarre. Like I wouldn't bring my four and a half year old to a football match until, I don't know, I don't, I'd just be worried about what people are shouting. And it's just, I don't know what, what possesses people for 90 minutes to just feel that they can say or do whatever they want. Um, you know, even in terms of, we talked about pride, the Premier League. I mean, there was a guy who came out on one of the divisions, and he he came out as as being a, a gay footballer, and that was the first openly gay footballer in any of the four leagues since um, Justin Fashionu, right? So rainbow laces, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, great. Get the players to wear rainbow laces, but but until you kind of do something about it, it's absolutely mean. It's kind of just marketing, and um, so uh, John, I want to get your point of view on this because this again is really polarizing. So there. You know, thinking about, we talked about authenticity, but thinking about, we touched on it being brands for good or having a point of view on, on political things, right? There's there's a school of thought that says, um, so Nike, for example, if they make an ad about Colin Kaepernick and they say, you know, Black Lives Matters and they spend millions behind that, well, that's a good thing to do, right? Because it, it's better than spending millions on just, you know, a shoe that makes you run faster. So they can have a point of view on that. But then there's another point of view that says, because you're trying to sell trainers for argument's sake, um, you know, are you doing enough? As Rachel talked about the yeah, but moment. So you, you know, Mark Ritson would have a point of view on Nike and say, well, look, if you really cared about Black Lives Matters, you might you might have some people of color on your board. Um, you might have your your board would not be made up of white forty year old males. You would have better diversity on that board. Um, you know, so 
but and the, I don't the, know because the, the doing rather than just yeah. So I mean, so when you look at it and go like, do I do, do where where do you draw the line? What do you think? Do you think Nike doing a campaign around that, or like because sometimes I think do, like do, is anyone kind of are Nike changing anybody's mind on this? Or is anyone going, well, I, I actually had this view of of society, but then I saw this Nike campaign and I've totally changed it now. Or is it like, do you think they should just shut up and stick to what they're good at and just say, you know what, this is too heavy? Particularly, I thought the Black Lives Matter thing. I think brands getting involved, I, I, I sometimes I just don't know where the, where the line should be drawn. And there might be certain things where you might go, do you know what, brands, you should stay out of this one and, and stop creating beautiful campaigns. Because at the end of the day, Unless you're kind of saying we're giving all the profits um, donated certain thing back to into causes and not just doing cause marketing, I think too much of this sometimes is led by the marketing department and not by the brand. So, you know, what do you what do you think about those those big things? I know they're very um, polarizing, but what's your point of view on that? Is it a case that anything they do is a good thing, and they shouldn't be criticised for what they're not doing? They should be kind of applauded for for what they are doing, which is invest in marketing dollars into saying, we don't think this is right. And, you know, what, what do you think? I think that the amount of mental gymnastics I'm having to do <laughs> to keep up with you and Rachel, the amount of things you're saying, and I'm like, oh my God, I want to talk about this, 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 and this. Yeah. Um, where do I start? So let's go back the way. Sports brands are interesting. Um, Let's forget Kaepernick and go back to Michael Jordan. Mm. Now, Michael has never really spoken about race issues. He's he's kept away from from taking a political stance. But that Jordan brand and what Jordan did changed the way that people see black Americans around the world just by being there, showing up, and being around for the distance, right? So... Um, I think that that's powerful. And then if you think about Adidas and the athletes that have been aligned to them, whether that's Muhammad Ali, you know, who's still, you know, influencing people. Um, I think the other athletes like Daley Thompson at the time from my era, you know, British decathlete. Um, and then more recently, you've got people like Paul Pogba, uh, Muhammad Salah, like all of these athletes. And then you've got people like Bob Marley, wearing Adidas old school track suits, like, you know, the, the, the cultural relevance to these sports brands and what they, the, and how they, the my Adidas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, run DMC, my Adidas. <laughs> um, it's, and recently with Adidas, actually, they, they've got a, a drop, I think it's this month, um, with Ravi, which is a Pakistani restaurant in Dubai, an old traditional Pakistani restaurant. And they've done an Adidas Shelto superstar collaboration. And those Sheltos look fresh and they've got Arabic on one shoe and English on the other. And they've got the menu and everything. Do a Google on, on Adidas and, and Ravi, R-A-V-I. So I think that they can play a part. Trump, yeah, he was hiding in plain sight. We know that, yeah, he's always been about branding. If, if you want a case study for how branding can work for you, Trump is that guy because you look at the back, like he's in Home Alone movies, making cameos, mm. people saying nice things. He's got Trump Towers. Harvard, I think it was Harvard Uni, did a study on, on all of the rap lyrics over the past 20 or so years that mentioned Trump. And prior to being elected, it was all positive about Trump. People wanted to live large like Trump. Wu-Tang were always talking about Trump. I think there's one song, Black Trump, right? <laughs> it just all went wrong after he got elected, right? But we can't say that he, you know, he, he showed us anything that we didn't expect. But he was always championing underdogs as well. Like if you look at UFC mm. even involved in those things 
Now, does that mean that we should get behind people who are authentically racist or bigots or whatever it is because they're authentic? And you raise a good point in that respect. And that, to me, is a sad reflection on where we are. And we, we've all heard people say it where they say, well, at the end of the day, at least I know where I stand. Mm. Better the mm. devil you know, the mm. phrase that comes out. Like, well, at least, and, and that was what people were banking on. So that means that that us in the middle need to try harder to do better things, to, to kind of debunk that polarization, which is, do you want somebody who is duplicitous, who you don't know where you stand, shapeshifts, or someone who you know where you stand? Mm. And and I hear that in, in, in discussions where, even in discussions of race, where it's like, oh, I like old-fashioned racists, because you know where you stand. <laughs> they, they put their finger at you, and they tell you what they think. And then at least you can have a debate and a discussion. But these new racists yeah. who are in liberal clothing hide. Mm-hmm. They say Double that they speak, care about you uh, and they betray you. They pull the rug from uh, under you and they're worse and they take your jobs and mm. they don't share representation around. And there's an element of truth in that, right? And and that, But that doesn't mean that we should be against, you know, liberalism and then go back to the good old-fashioned conservative racists. And then you've got football where... You know, it's it's giving us an insight into how tribal we are as human beings. Um, and just, I mean, I can still remember, look, when England lost the penalty shootout in yeah. the European Cup, you know, we went from this whole, and, and I think it's not so much the team as it's the media that I have an issue with, which is like when they start to, for propaganda purposes, say, and isn't this a great reflection on cultural diversity? We hear our ministers talk about that, like we've got so many black footballers. Mm. And then the next day, right, mm. they get told, you know, how people feel about them. And yes, there are a few brands like BT that said that we we, we support our black fo- footballers. Well, of course you should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your British football, your English footballers, I should say. Mm. Sorry, I'm Scottish, so I'm trying to claim success because we're crap at football. Not um, as crap as us, but, but anyway. But like, <laughs> Well, I don't know. But even the next day, it was like, as somebody who is not white, walking the streets the next day, I saw something strange. I live in London, um, and in not particularly white areas, where black people giving each other a nod and saying hello in a way that you only, which only tended to happen, like if I went to Russia, when I went to Moscow, and there's like no black people in Moscow, and you see another Mm. black person, it's like, oh, go, all right, all right. That feeling of like, oh, wow, you know, I'm with you, or good to see you. And that was a response to just the chilling feeling of how we saw the ball and the response towards those footballers. And I think that's, that becomes the challenge, which is that with authenticity representation, you know, you know, whether you support these, these months or, or, you know, whether that's blackwashing, greenwashing, pinkwashing, all of those things, people are still working out who, who are the real people in this? Who are the people that are in this for the fight? Who are the ones trying to make money? Who are the ones that are just like, you know, talking crap mm. and, and it becomes complicated. And then on top of that, we have Adland and these conferences that, that, that classify us according to generations and generation, whatever is alpha Z X Y millennials, baby boomers, all that sort of stuff. And my personal view is I'm not entirely convinced that there are these generational differences that follow a linear progression. No. Because some of them are, are just hardwired to American pop culture. But I, I learned that when I, you know, when I traveled to Asia and did some work in Asia, that when you have a financial crisis in a different decade, mm. it impacts the generation in a different way. 
You've got yeah. to look at the timeline of events. Now, we are there is a convergence that we're, we're being brought together through social media, through globalization, where there's more of a convergence. But still, you know, one of the things that's lucky about, you know, being a professor is that I get to work with people who are 18 up to 80-something. And they might think of themselves in different generations, but as a, as a researcher, I see commonalities like mm. like authenticity is a word that's in fashion now and so younger population a younger population feels that they are authentic but the older population isn't and mm. and their debate might be you know wide-ranging or even i was saying to someone the other day it was like it's it's fascinating to me that you had hippies in the 60s taking a bunch of drugs sexually active, free love, taking their clothes off, going to festivals, doing stuff that, wild out stuff that, that this generation would never do. Mm. <laughs> but this generation feels that they're crazier and, yeah, and, yeah. and more. But then that hippie generation in their 70s now, a lot yeah. of them don't look like that anymore. And they, and they became very successful and got great jobs and worked for blue chips. Mm. So it yeah. also is a reflection of human nature. Like some people do not stay the same for all of those decades. Um, so it's about those flashpoints of those moments, and I'm, I'm still trying to work out myself what they mean. But I think that you know, authenticity is the word now. Cool was a word, and, and I remember doing some research, and cool became commoditized thanks to Hollywood adverts and stuff like that. And we all know about that the idea of Elvis Presley and his pelvis, and James Dean and the cigarette, and the white T-shirt, and the ripped jeans, and and how now you can buy ripped jeans, you know, like. For, for my generation, it was a badge of honor to get a pair of jeans and to destroy them. Yeah. Mm. Um, get in trouble with your mum, probably. Or, or you know, or you'd go to a second-hand store and you'd get, like, nearly destroyed jeans. And, mm. and that meant that you were cool, authentic, and those sorts of things. But that origin of the word comes back. You can trace it to um, the transatlantic slave trade. And it has a sentiment of grace under pressure. So... For those Africans that were enslaved and had their dignity taken away from them, their clothes taken off them and stripped of any humanity, they developed a kind of a, a facial expression or a mask that said grace under pressure that I will not be defeated. Like, you know, I'm, basically that's that I'm cool. You think that you're breaking me, but I don't care. Right. Couldn't be bothered. And, and we see that that's been maintained and that's the cool that we see in movies right which is why the characters are like you know you, you're telling me what to do i don't I'm not, I, mm. I don't bother man and i think then that maybe cool as a word got worn out yeah. and authenticity became the the inheritor of, of of some of those things and then you know we're going to do a podcast maybe in a few years time and then authenticity will be worn out and there will be yeah. another word and the debates will probably be at the roots philosophically quite similar yeah yeah i mean i i was never cool so i think probably by virtue of oh, us doing on. this podcast we're uh we've already made it well, i was always cool i was always <laughs> cool so i'm cool i was always cool so I'm fine. About it. <laughs> the irish accent's always been cool yeah why yeah. is that i don't know like, it's i don't know it's not really it's not maybe it is to other people it's not when it's not when you're right i hate hate terribly like kind of um self-conscious of my irishness when i go abroad for yeah, but you know, we all read those marketing magazine articles years ago about how call centers would move to different parts mm. because, you know, an accent would wear out. You know, you'd have like yeah. Liverpool for a while where like, and they deal with customer complaints and then it became Dublin. And even mm. like, actually, I have to say, I, like my Siri on my phone is, is Irish. 
and my kids. <laughs> <laughs> she has an Irish voice and my kids love it. It's like they, they, they think that Siri is far more trustworthy with an Irish voice than, for example, with, I won't say which other country, right? But we do have a choice. And I'm fascinated by those things because I'm sure that, you know, like when you travel, you probably disarm a lot of people or when you ask, you know, you're asking for directions or, or, or things like that. And so I'm fascinated by those, how those cultures are built where... Mm. Some of those things take years mm. and, and what it means to people, whether that's through pop culture, whether that's through music, what, what is it? Mm. I mean, brands that can understand that, then you know that you're in a great position. I mean, I know that um, you listen to kids in the playground and a lot of kids are hardwired into watching movies where superheroes are American. Yeah. And so when they're like kind of role playing, they put on American accents yeah. or when they're commentating uh, they're putting up like you know, documentary style. It's an American accent. The bad guy has an English accent. Mm. Uh, uh, football, you have a kind of what you have it like a southern accent or something like that. Like you know, you're a bit of a geezer. Mm. Um, but but that's why the media has an important role to play in 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 shaping those narratives. Because yeah, I can't escape it. To me, an American accent is cool because of hip hop. Mm. Brian yeah. is changing that, but it was always but. But who would want to hear a Manchester accent as a rapper? Like when I did Grand Theft Auto, I had to rap in an American accent. Yeah. If I wanted to no, use a right, Manchester yeah. accent, I'm in an indie band, right? Because I, I could argue that sonically, Mancunians have a nasal wah, wah, wah sound that, that lends itself to Oasis, yeah. Stone Roses, you know, Joy Division. It's all a bit, you know, it's rainy. We moan all the time and doesn't sound good over a, like, you know, a nice crisp boom bap beat. But I also think there's that cultural thing and and brands that can understand that are going to benefit from it. Mm. And, and authenticity is linked into that. And activism is linked into that. And then representation is, and your point, and I know that Ritson did make that point, Professor Ritson on Nike and, and showing the photograph of their board yeah. members. I agree. But then pragmatically, it's like, it's going to take time, man. Mm. Like, yeah, but the idea, I, I, I get like, but I think Ritson's point was, yeah, great, they made an ad, right? But but before you go out starting to preach to everybody, which effectively is what you're doing when you start making an ad, and, and, and so we're questioning whether the whole um, self-importance of, of a, a company that makes sportswear needs to be our moral compass. So park that. But the idea of you're going to go out and start spending money and, and, and effectively playing this role as a moral guardian and, and educating people about it, well, get your house in order first, right? That's kind of what he's saying. Like, practice what you but preach get, first and get foremost. The house, get the house in order, Dave. Like, look at it. Like, gender on boards is another one. Like, getting the house in order, you know, it does it does take time. So, it doesn't take that long. You know, you're right. Well, you know like, what? You you're both things right. Like sen- seniority, right? Seniority on a board's for something, first of all, people have to be, have the experience, so they have to have been hired in the first place a decade ago. They have to have had the education. So you're going back and back and back to like the root kind of like it's like getting women into STEM. You know, yeah. it's like you're going back to primary school to start getting fixing See, that here's the situation thing, right? in twenty mm. years time. So if they wait. Well, I mean, you know, I don't where, know. I mean, where, where do you end up? I, I think point? part of the problem is our unconscious bias that we know. Like, I mean, you talk about quotas and stuff like that. I'm a fan of quotas because I don't, I don't, I think our unconscious bias, what, what, what life and history has taught us that even if people are not consciously biasing against people, if, if you entrust 50 year old men, 50 white men, 50 year old plus to vote on who's on the board, who's not, 
Not intentionally. The board will never change, right? So I think, and there is thing, well, should you have quotas because the best man should get the job uh, usually is, right? So uh, if you get into that space, then well, I think until we until we can break the the, the social norms, then those things are a good thing. We're going, we're going to get, we're going, I'm going to, I'm going to call this, we're going to get into a huge, we'll go down no, another me, rabbit let hole. Let me respond because you're both saying cool things. I'll try not to waffle, right? But I think you're both right. Now, here are some thoughts that are in my head. It's great that Professor Ritson made that observation and wrote that article. But what I'm going to say is, as a white professor, he can make that statement. If I wrote an article like that as a black professor, I know that I would get slate. I'd get dissed. Mm. People would be yeah, like, oh, true. here he goes again. So it's that's why it's important for him to make that that point mm. and why it's important for him to exist. And he can make points that I can't make. True. I'm telling you straight that if I was going to swear as much as him, and I don't swear in articles or in, in talks and stuff, I wouldn't get platformed at all. But as a white guy, definitely can. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also feel that you're right. Things should move quicker. Universities are terrible, for example. Like in the UK, quarter of a million academics, 23,000 full professors, 160 are black across all subject disciplines in the UK. So you want to like think about in the field of marketing, how many people work in it, how many people study it, find me. Uh, mm. How many other black marketing professors there are in the UK? Mm. And you won't find many, if any more, right? And and that's that's really troubling. And universities have known this for years, yeah. and the change hasn't been brought about. And then you look at other factors, like people saying, what's the point? Yeah. How much abuse can you suffer before you think, screw being a professor as a job? Yeah. Or you think about women who are battling where if they take maternity leave, that's respected and honoured. Mm. And then they go for promotion and somebody says against the bloke that they're going against, uh, you don't have as many articles, I'm afraid. Yeah. And she's like, uh, because I took maternity leave, therefore I was unable to be writing and publishing for about a couple of years. Yeah. And that is never taken into account on a cold CV. Mm. So you're always fighting this battle. And then you're battling the thing where people say, well, we don't know where to find talent and they're not qualified and I want to debunk that. If you look closely enough, there are plenty of these underrepresented groups where mm. there are stellar very professionals, very capable, mm. highly qualified, ready to fill those jobs, but mm. but they just don't get the gig. Yeah, and, and, and there are so many factors. Yeah, and you, and I mean, one of the things we know, because you talked about um, Obama a while ago. And that felt like, I mean, I think the world's gone backwards. And I think you mentioned, you made the point about we, we're, we've never been more connected. And at the same time, we've never been more apart. I think we're going, we're, we're, we're seem to be regressing and looking what's going on in the, in the, in the States and, you know, Roe and everything. It, it feels like, I don't know, I can't believe some things that go on in the world. So, um, but normalization thing. So Obama, I mean, that, that was supposed to have done a lot because once you can normalize, once, once people of color can see, I can be the president of the United States because it never happened until then. Or got a woman, you know, a woman president. You, then, then that inspires the next generation. And I think, you know, I don't know. Uh, companies can can. You know, I think Sheryl Sandberg, for for all her faults and all the stuff she's done badly, she did a lot for kind of women's rights and workplaces in corporate America and and, and the world. So, um, 
we're going to go down a rabbit hole. I'm going to, before we're getting heavy on this, but I just want to pull back a little bit, right? So it's yeah, my podcast. It's my podcast. I'll we'll do what I say. Um, <laughs> now I want to just step back a little bit because brand purpose, right? So, and I'm not talking about changing the world, right? You know, I've seen a lot of research and articles about saying, and given that that brand that people consumers expect and brands or people expect brands to stand for more than just selling stuff, and Companies and brands that are purposeful will be the only ones that succeed in the future. So read a lot about that, seen a lot of research on it. Doesn't have to be about change in the world, but yet just to keep it written, um, he he quotes this um ad contrarian Bob Hoffman. And there's this kind of um test called Hoffman's refrigerator, right? And what it basically says is go home. Are you getting a kickback from Ritson? No, no. I <laughs> well, I just I kind of I I I know what he's like, but he's he's authentic, right? But he, no, this isn't him, but this is Hoffman, right? So he says, Oh, go home to, uh, tonight, later on. Oh, we all work in marketing. Um, open your refrigerator and behold all those brands that you've gone out of your way to buy. Put your hand in your pocket to buy all those brands that populate your refrigerator, right? Now have a look at them and then the cupboard and then ask yourself, how many of the purposes behind any of those brands can can you even, do? You, can, can you remember? Never mind how many you kind of ascribe to. So is, like, we, we became ashamed of just doing great advertising, right? And so we have to be purposeful and we have to circumvent the dirty truth, which is that we have to promote things to create demand that people will buy things. Um, and we've kind of, we've become ashamed to be great at marketing and great marketeers. And purpose and being purposeful is one of those ways to circumvent that. But long way to get to a question is, are we kidding ourselves? Because when you take the Hoffman's refrigerator test, it's amazing how many brands you buy that you haven't got the foggiest notion about the purpose behind those brands. No matter how long the marketing people sit sweating over it in the boardroom, we don't care. Do we? Are we kidding ourselves? Uh, perhaps, but I think in the future it's going to be it's going to be more important because of social media and people wanting to be uh, wanting to understand who's behind the brands. I mean, look, I mentioned Muhammad Ali. The reason he's the greatest athlete of all time is because of his strong political stances, his opinion, his humor. You know, he lost it all and won it all back. It's all of those things that he transcended so many categories and broke so many rules. Same like Bob Marley, same like Jimi Hendrix. You know, then, okay, let's throw in Elvis Presley there, right? But um, these were, you know, and the Beatles, Paul McCartney is, is, you know, ridiculous at his longevity and the things that they did. So that's what we all want to aspire to us because apparently brands are supposed to be as human as possible and we'd all like to be remembered and loved in the way that they're loved. Uh, but I think that it is possible. Like if we look at the, like Kantar Brand Z came out with um, their top 100 global brands mm. um, just a couple of weeks ago and I was able to interview some people from Kantar so I've had a deep dive into the stats. And, you know, if you want to get into the top 100 global brands, the entry ticket is about $20 billion valuation right now. Right. Last year was $18 billion. So if we look in the top 10, Louis Vuitton entered the top 10. And that's the first European brand to enter the top 10 since 2010, right? And they, in particular, got great um, coverage for getting behind the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, Virgil Abloh, when he was alive, was their artistic director, and he celebrated the 90s rebellion with Wu-Tang Clan, Samurai, Goldie, stuff like that. They really shook things up, and they were able to go up the ranks. It's not just about taking a stand on activism, but you can't escape that fact. 
And then if you think about uh, McDonald's, right? McDonald's rose um, from number nine in the rankings up to number six in 2022, right? So that means that their brand value leapt from about $155 billion to $196.5 billion. That's 27% year on year. Is that because you all are locked down and eating burgers? Perhaps. But the thing is that they decided to permanently leave and pull out of Russia mm. this year, right? After having been in Russia since the 1990, they took mm -hmm. a strong stance. And it'd be interesting to see what happens. I know that there's a brand that's already launched in Russia as a kind of, um, a, as a response. But, but to me, those things are important because you get sucked into the world of trade press and they talk about the McDonald's Burger King wars. Mm. But Burger King's valued at $7 billion. It's not even in the top 100 global brands. But I get sick and tired of seeing that moldy burger advert yeah. being hailed as great creative mm. when it's just making me think about rotting food. But mm. you're right, there are brands like McDonald's that do take a kicking yeah. in terms of like a lot of things that they should be doing that they don't do and junk food advertising and mm. sporting events and all sorts of things. So I think that you make some really good points. But beyond that, there are some other things that are working, I could say. And, and, and I tend to feel more inspired by McDonald's when I go outside of Europe or America. Mm. So like, you know, when I've traveled to like Asia and stuff, like, you know, you go to... Uh, Indonesia, or you go to Morocco, and and you see McDonald's or India giving jobs to people, yeah, and 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 lifestyle choices, and and seeing people consume a product that probably once upon a time, decades ago, they felt that way in America, right? But it was interesting going to India, and it's like you don't sell beef because the, the mm. cow is a, is a holy animal to Hindus, and you replace it with chicken. You have a Maharaja Mac. You've got CV application forms if people want to apply to work at McDonald's and people seem to really enjoy their job and mm. KFC does the same. And, you know, and, and some of the fast food companies are light years ahead in, in these other countries like KFC having uniforms with headscarves and stuff years ago mm. and having halal KFC chicken. But the challenge then becomes in the UK. I think I remember it was a few years ago. I, I spoke to someone from KFC a hundred I think 100 of the restaurants were like halal certified, suitable for Muslims, uh, but no more. And, and the profits in those restaurants were 20% greater. Right. Logic would dictate that you then roll that out to more restaurants. But there was a concern that they didn't want to be too strongly openly affiliated in a Muslim minority country with oh, right. Muslim yeah, yeah. values. In Muslim countries, no problem. You go to Dubai, go to Indonesia, go to Malaysia. They're doing great business. And so what I think about is that kind of I call it a not in my backyard mentality. I'll do great things in other countries, mm. just not in my backyard because, and so if we go back to authenticity and the future of brands and, and, and their purpose, you want to see meaningful change in your backyard as yeah. well. You don't want to see this relative sense of morality, mm. but at the same time, we get it that, that wages are different. GDPs are different in different countries. And it's like, well, okay, well, Tell us what it is that you're about to do and, and how you can make that change. And for those companies that can do that, you could have, you could be, you know, it could be detergent. You could be making detergent, but it's, it's doing things. Mm, yeah. Fair. Yeah. No, I, I agree with all that. We've talked about a lot um, and I'm not going to keep you both too much longer, but just well, we have covered quite a lot of stuff and, and, and at the same time, we've only scratched the surface and we had to kind of backpedal on a couple of different things as well. So when you think about 
when you think about brands now, you're thinking about everything we've talked about. Um, what can brands do if they want to, you know, be more authentic and they want to, well, what are the type of things they can do? And it's an open question to either. You can both come in and give me some examples of, I mean, we could go into fails quite a lot. If we want less, maybe we won't go through all the fails because it's, it's, it's shooting fish in a barrel. Give me examples of, of companies that you think have done really good things in this space. So Rachel, you kick off if you want to put you on the spot there. <laughs> no problem. Um, but I think one thing I'd love to see, particularly in the world of media, but also creative, because I've kind of bounced around between media and creative um, over my career, um, is a, a general quick cut of win is moving away from demographics when you think about products and brands and, the, and thinking about the kind of culture, the tribes and psychographics that come with, even at a high level that, that come come with the kind of the product that you have or the product that you're building. Um, there's so much so uh, so much stuff at the moment that's still, you know, housekeepers with kids or, you know, um, brands that might have you know, older women, 60 plus, you know, drink our, our, our alcohol. Or a mobile uh, phone network want, for millennials. Want, yeah, you know, we actually want men over, you know, 35 to 44. So well, what's wrong with who you have? I think being able to actually look at who who's consuming your products, not by age and not by gender and go like, what are their interests? What are their tastes? What are they into? And start like building things better from there would be great. So again, going back to getting to know people again. Mm. Um, who's doing good stuff. Really important. Yeah, who's doing good stuff. And there's so much, uh, we talked a lot, maybe a little bit negatively about globalization and things, but uh, one of the, the, the great things with the, the rise of digital is Cultures and tribes, for want of a better word, have become so much more open to people. You can find, you know, if you're a nerd who loves, you know, card games on the internet, you can find your other, you know, your fellow nerds on there. They're not going to be on the, the road where you grow up or whatever, but you can find your you find your niche, for better or worse in some cases. Um, and knowing actually what that, that tribe is could be a really powerful thing, I think, for brands, um, as opposed to we're trying to market to 20 year olds in mm. France. So what the hell does that mean? Like, mm. yeah. you know, and who cares? I agree. So. Give me some examples you liked of brands, you know, doing um, good stuff in the space with either, well, we yeah. call it purpose or authenticity or whatever. Yeah. I think one that I liked recently is a Irish startup brand, uh, Riley. Uh, so that we are Riley is that the site they do, um, like sanitary products for women. And their adverts, the only ad I've ever seen that isn't involving some woman running through a field, you know, spinning around, skydiving, like, sound of music, skydiving in a white tennis skirt, you know, and worrying about blue liquid being poured on her. Like, it's it's so weird. It's so weird that this has been the thing since the 60s. And these guys are the first people that have seen actually do an ad that's not like that, you know, mm. that's like, yeah. It's shite. Mm, yeah. You know, embrace yeah. the staying at home in your dressing gown and being weird and miserable for a few days, and that's all right. Um, so that definitely would be one of them. Um there's like there's a lot of I think there's a lot of obvious brands, you know, on those top like the sort of Patagonias and things of the world mm. that people know are doing great stuff. I think it, it it's probably harder and more um 
interesting thing with these those brands that are trying to get into those top 100 um do those things and, mm. and start standing out mm. if i think of another one I'll, I'll, okay. I'll and chat. John, if i think of another one i'll shout jonathan same question for you what what advice would you give to, to brands in that kind of area of authenticity and then give me some a poster child or two for brands you think just smashing it nailing it at the moment so to sound all slick, I, I, what would I say? Brands, you need to get verified, certified, qualified, energized, and lionized. I like I it. That, nice. That's the question. I'll edit, <laughs> I'll, edit, I'll edit that out and pretend it was me. That's cool. Yeah, yeah make it me. <laughs> there you go. Then on your podcast. <laughs> um, important. And, and I, I like Rachel's point about, uh, you know, segmentation and i think that if segmentation is part of due diligence that's right i mean we all hate the kind of almost shutterstock by numbers which is like okay we have a red head now we need an asian face and now we need an african face we need like and and, and then you put together this jigsaw puzzle of creative yeah but it, it that doesn't feel authentic it looks you know once upon a time you say it looks like a benetton commercial but, but, mm. but they weren't doing it for that reason right they were making a a very strong statement. Um, so what we want to think about is, you know, representation. If you are, you need someone to check that, that you know, there are no gaps and blind spots. And I think that's where brands make a mistake. So you want to appeal to certain people. Yeah, we don't want to be judged by the color of our skin or our gender and stuff like that. But that's just to make sure that you're not missing anybody out, right? But if you think that uh, black people they like fried chicken and, and they behave like this and that. Then you're missing the point. Or young people, they like this music. And then mm. what tends to happen is some guy in Adeland is picking House of Pain jump around because it was big to him in the <laughs> 90s. Yeah. But, but doesn't know that kids aren't listening to House of Pain jump around anymore, right? Um, but they think that that's what's cool and young. So you need to talk to your audience. You need to sense check and say, and listen to them. Is this resonating with you? So resonance is really important. Mm. Uh, brands that I think doing well. I was impressed, like, you know, I think Red Hot Chili Peppers just played in Dublin, right? Yeah. And they yeah. played in London a few days before. And so, and Anderson Park was, and, and the Free Nationals were, were supporting them. And Anderson Park tied that in with his launch of a collab with Vans. Right. And they're called Vanderson. So if you go on YouTube, you will see an amazing live gig that he did to launch his, uh, sneakers and they had like a sneaker cam behind his drum kits you could see him using his trainers oh, whilst wow. he's playing the drums and he was there on oxford street in london signing boxes and stuff and physically selling them but it was just so right and powerful that you've got a collaboration with a stellar artist i keep saying stellar in this podcast for some reason <laughs> and vans which is a great brand Mm. that's been around they didn't try and do anything other than what they were known for yeah amongst that that skater um community and then they suddenly got picked up right yeah so they were just in their own thing so i think maybe there's another lesson which is i think now more than ever is the age of collaboration so you don't yeah, feel great. black enough you don't feel female enough you don't feel like edgy enough partner with a brand who you wish you were like inside mm. or outside of your sector and try and do that cool stuff mm. together and then you won't get your hands burned and then you'll be more credible and believable it will work much better right that's what i would like to see more brands do so that so you could be a law firm somewhere and you're like 
I don't know if we can do this or whatever it is. And yeah, so then go and partner with a cool brand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and but show us how that works in the same way as Adidas did with that Ravi Pakistani restaurant. I mean, sports brands have it easy because you have iconic high-performance athletes, and, and you build your whole story around that, which is that they are successful, they win. If you follow us, then you will win too. Yeah. But for most of us, we don't have the, those those nuggets, right? But it doesn't mean that we can't think about things in the same way, which is this layering of representation, seeding ideas, and like Vans and other brands, you've got to, you've got to be part of the culture. If that's your yeah. local community, your local city, you know, it's nothing stopping like you know B two B companies like doing good stuff in their community. Mm-hmm. Like you know, and and it's the obvious things, right? Are you sharing food with people? Are you breaking bread? Are you like going into schools? Are you reading stories? To send, you know, you could send your staff to go and read stories to kids in primary schools. Mm-hmm. You could you could give food to the homeless and do that again and again and again, and not talk about it, um, because there there are examples of people doing great things. Um, I actually remember, (laughs) I don't know if I should say it, but I will anyway. So like my business partner, um, he met Steve Wozniak once. They were both speaking at a conference and he found out that Steve Wozniak, uh, teaches at a local primary school. Uh, but he, uh, made the parents agree to never telling anybody so that if you, if you, if you let anybody know, then, uh, I will stop teaching at the school. So it, it was supposed to be completely off the radar secret mm. and that was what he wanted to do love it yeah. right now if only we could do more of those things right is and that that's never been an apple story that's never been a Wozniak. this is how i am everyone always talks about steve jobs and, and his mm. messianic purpose and everything but if companies are doing more of those things and the culture is built where staff are in those organizations are on the same vibe, then I do believe that those fingerprints mm. are going to make products, services, creative, which has more authenticity, has more of that vibe. And that's when you start to get the Muhammad Ali, Jimi Hendrix, Bob Marley type stuff that we all want to do and not the stock Aiken and Walkman type yeah. stuff because really real. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice. And I love the idea of, you know, partner with partner with people who have the things that you want. Um, try different things. You, you both talk to me about Adidas and, and Gucci. Um, which you know, so yeah, uh, I think that's great. I think it's great. I, th- I think it, you know, so. I was just mentioned Vans the other day to somebody because I think at the moment, and Byron Sharp, he's done great things for marketing. He has done a great service to marketing because it was gone a bit mad. But I think this idea of being in the middle and not, you know, we have to be all things to all people. I was saying to somebody the other day, I don't who it was, I was saying, most people who buy vans, trainers, have never been on a skateboard, right? You, but you see, you can, but, but they can kind of aspire to that type of culture, street culture and urban culture is, it doesn't have, you don't have to be on a skateboard. So you can, and I think we're worried about being too niche in terms of our tribes and literally being too small. So, so we have to, we have to be, we have to be trying and be everything. And when you try and be everything, ultimately you become nothing. So um, how, how many pair of runners actually are involved in, you know, running or, yeah. you know, like this tracksuit bottom has never been to a, been to a gym. I can tell yeah, you that. Yeah, it, it, yeah it, it, <laughs> you know, exactly. So, I mean, okay. I think, I think it's fine. Yeah, right. It's about. So, guys, thank you so much. This went on longer than I thought, but I knew it would. And I think I only had 
eight questions when you when you boil it down. But we went on um, three three people who like talking. Uh, I have to say, and um, but thank you, um, thank you, Professor Wills, for joining me today because um, yeah, it's great to get your perspective on things, and it's just such a really interesting uh, whole thing to talk about. We we could, we probably could have done twenty podcasts on this and gone on and on because I really enjoyed the chat. Um, as a Rachel has the pleasure of sitting beside me most days, so we have these conversations regularly and kind of. We, we disagree on lots of things in a good way, but isn't disagreeing as good. So, you have to thank Rachel. She found me on LinkedIn. So Yeah, because she thought she that. came up with that word brandwagoning. She thought she invented that word, actually, which is what <laughs> happened. Um, and then she but was I corrected. Was just brandwagoning. Yes, so she was corrected. So this is this is what happened. Um, so uh, Give Rachel a pay rise. <laughs> we'll talk about that <laughs> off air. Swimming culture. She knows what's going we'll, on. We'll talk about it off, off air. Um, but listen uh, thanks so much for joining me and thanks to everybody for listening if you enjoyed this episode why not listen back to some of our other amazing evergreen episodes you'll find them by typing Irish Times Inside Marketing into your search engine of choice thanks to Kira in Marketing and Andrea on Sound thanks to our partners Irish Times Media Solutions so until next time stay safe be authentic and be true to yourself as a brand and as a person right over bye The Inside Marketing Podcast Brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions.